Welcome back. What are you drinking tonight? Hey, Eric. Tonight is a favorite of mine, a new favorite, and it all comes from our dear friend, Ryan Harvey. Harvey. I see. I always go with Harvey. It sounds better. Like he's one in the Batman movie or something. You know. Is there a Harvey in the Batman? Yeah, movie? I think so. I I don't like Two Face. Isn't his last name Harvey? I don't know. I'm don't probably know. making things up. I think it's his first name, isn't it? I don't know. I don't know. But I'm not a movie Ryan guy. Hervey. Hervey. Well, going back to the first introductory episode, right? On that speaker night. Yeah. Whipped out this delicious mixed drink. Yep. Which I will tell you all how to make. As far as I can remember. Is you can make it at home. You take a lemon, a real lemon. You squeeze it. And all of his juice is out. And I think you need one ounce of lemon mixed with three-fourths an ounce of honey. And you just, you keep that proportion. And you mix that and you heat that together into a simple syrup on the stove. Okay? And that's like your base syrup. And then you put that into two ounces of gin. Right? Hendrix gin is what currently using. And this is called the bee's knees. And it is the most delicious, spectacular little mixed drink that I've ever been able to make myself, all thanks to Ryan Hervey. <laughs> and that is what I am sipping on tonight. Um, what about you? I've got a glass of wine because I thought it was appropriate for our first episode that I would drink <laughs> wine. Because Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine. You're a suck up. Jesus is I, laughing at you. I'm a suck up. <laughs> You're right. That's 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 not why I do it. Did it? It just tasted good tonight. It is Chateau Saint Michel. It is our go-to brand, our go-to uh, bottle, I guess, from Costco. Super cheap. I highly recommend it. Although I don't, don't go to my Costco and take it all. That's true. That would be very sad. So here we are tonight, right? Everyone knows Matthew 5, verse 44. Yeah, the, the title of this podcast probably has it in the in the title. Matthew 5, 44. Yeah, or just love your enemies. I haven't decided what okay. I'm going to put. Well, they'll know the moment they click it that we had that they conversation will. in the podcast. They will. But if you want, I can read it. Go for it. This is in the NIV version. Starting with 33 or starting 43? with 43. So we're going to give you some context here. Literally, there's a category in chapter five of Matthew that says love for enemies. And starting at verse 43 through verse 48, it says this. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And that's our key verse right there. Going on, verse 45, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Well said. You know what's interesting? So I've got I'm on, I'm in my U version app, 
and I'm in the NIV, which yours is NIV, right? Yes, but I'm old NIV. There's a yeah. newer version of the NIV. I was going to say, I think it's a new, it's an older version because mine in um, verse 45 says that you may be children and yours says that you're, you may be sons. Sons, yes. I think and they then, made it like gender neutral. Gender neutral, yeah. And then uh, same thing in verse 47, it says, and if you greet only your own people, and I think yours said your own brothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the only differences. So Yeah, well and contextually the Bible was basically written to men at that time. Because at that time really only men knew how to read. Well and actually my my understanding is that their language um was more gender neutral. That they didn't I, and and I could like, again I could be wrong, but my understanding is that in a lot of instances and maybe this is only Hebrew and not the Greek. Right. And, you know, he's speaking in Aramaic. Yeah, Greek. So I, mean, I don't know how the translation works. Yeah, I, st- I studied Greek for people only a year, okay? Nothing phenomenal here. But I do remember, I mean, they're not as, you know, like Spanish has a female and male, like, endings mm-hmm. and whatnot. But they're not as severe as that in Greek, but they do have some different endings that go with. Okay. But, I mean, they also, like, the brothers there is going to be the word Adelphos, and I've seen that in the Greek before. So they, they most likely did say brothers, but okay. yet we know that same idea, right? It means yeah. everyone is speaking to everyone. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's not the point of this whole that's thing tonight. That's just us again, conversationally yeah. talking about it, which is fun. Yeah. Um, Eric, if you don't mind, I'd love to dig in right away and just give some context to this verse. Yeah. Cause I think like for me, when I think about a verse, because I would say when I was younger, I would get really stuck in that verse and just say like, oh, that is what it is. But it comes for a reason from somewhere around something. Right. So here's here's something that Carla, my wife. Well, is, she's is, not a part of this. Is, well, is she, it probably drives her I'm nuts. Kidding. <laughs> I, <laughs> Carla, I'm sorry. Well, no, no. This, this is something that I probably say too much oh. that she probably just is at the point where she rolls her eyes. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming I'm projecting that onto her. <laughs> but what I always say to her is context matters and that context determines meaning. Words don't determine meanings. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's good. So if, if, if here's, here's the, um, the example, example I always use is if someone says, Hey, what's up dog, which is even now a dated phrase, but it's perfect for this example. If someone says, what's up, dog? If you take those words literally, I'm asking you what is above your head and calling you a dog, which could be considered a derogatory term, right? Yes. And, and you know by the context that that's not what I'm saying. It's the context that determines the meaning. It's not the actual words. And, and we do this in everyday life. We, everything we hear, we talk about is with context in mind. Right. Mm-hmm. With the words as kind of secondary, mm-hmm. so of which this gospel is as well, right? So, man, this is gonna—I'm gonna have to remember some things. Hopefully, I have notes. Okay, so Matthew—we're in the book of Matthew, right? Yep. Yep. Written by Matthew. Yep. No, this one's actually by Luke. Well, that would happen in the Bible, <laughs> but this one's written by Matthew. This isn't like Mark, but or John. Who who knows? Well, John. John. Well, Mark was written by John Mark. Yeah, so I that, know, but that's the weird one. It's like you can't have. But two John's the crazy one. Like, who wrote John? Just tell us. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so Matthew, written by Matthew. What's 
Matthew's role in the Bible. I'm blanking right now. Like he's was, the tax collector. Yes, he's the tax collector. Mm-hmm. Yes, come on, Corey. Okay, <laughs> so but he wrote his gospel specifically to the Jews. Every gospel is written to a different audience. Right. Matthew is written to the Jews, um, which means his context, his wordings, and his metaphors and ideas are going to circle around what Jews know at that time. Specifically, more of those, you know, Pharisee, Sadducee, religious Jews who are in the synagogues debating, thinking of the Old Testament, the Torah, and using that, right? And then the Jews are maybe on the fence. He's trying to get them to say, hey, come join us in this adventure. Jesus's story is true. Here is the good news of Christ, right? This is the story. So he's writing this to Jews. Chapter five brings us to a place. By the way, people, I have the old version of the NIV because I literally always use in every sermon preaching moment, anywhere I go, a Bible that was given to me my eighth grade year. Oh yeah. Yes. This was my eighth grade graduation gift from Pella Christian grade school. So, it's very worn. It is. Thank you. I think that's a good thing. <laughs> and I have written all over it, people. Okay. Anyway, off sacks. Here we go. So Matthew 1, right? So if you look at the genealogy right there in Matthew, literally it starts with Abraham, right? Who is like the number one Jew of all time for... Well, King David, right? But then there's Ab- so tracing it back to Abraham is the father of the Jews. Mm-hmm. Okay, does that yep. make sense? Yeah. From there, it goes from Abraham, and it has a genealogy that goes all the way to Christ. So what Matthew's doing is he's saying, okay, Christ is a Jew from old. He literally is from the beginning of the Jewish line, and in there he'll cite King David. Right? He's from King David's mm-hmm. line. So all of these spectacular things, you get all of that. You get the birth of Jesus. You have John the Baptist in chapter three. In chapter four, you have the temptation of Jesus, Mm -hmm. which is his becoming of God's son on earth, right? He had to go through that temptation by the devil to get the authority, in a sense, to start doing his miracles and his signs. And it was kind of at that time, right, where he was just before that baptized, he went out into the desert, kind of fell in, not fell, he resisted and became this perfect man. Like that was his chance to be fully human, right? Mm-hmm. In the sense of being flawed, but he withstood it. Didn't fall into temptation. He's perfect. He goes, calls his first disciples mm-hmm. and then boom, you get to chapter five and it's, it's a bunch of teaching. It's so much teaching like five, six and seven. Is yeah. It, it's, all, it's, all the, it's the same thing. Yeah. He's in the same spot the whole time. Yeah. And um, this is no, this is kind of known as the Beatitudes, right? Like that's the the context of this, the blessings. Yeah. Yes, I was yeah. right. Okay, good. Yeah. I was like, I, mean, I guess when we were just reading through this, I yeah, I knew it was the Beatitudes, and it just hit me. I was like, what the heck does Beatitudes mean? And so I looked it up, and it does mean it's the blessings. So yes. Anyway, it, go me. That, point me. Yeah. Okay, and so he literally, okay. Right before this, he called the disciples. He heals a bunch of sick people. And when that happens in Jewish time, at the, you know, at this time, this is the first, this is the first like miracle in a long time, probably. Here comes Jesus. He heals people. And then crowds just flock to him so much, right? Think of like Justin Bieber in the middle of Times Square. 
Justin people Bieber. are just be like, like just, all over him. You just compared Justin Bieber to Jesus. No, not really. I was comparing the crowds of Justin Bieber to the crowds of Jesus. His his voice is like that of Jesus. It's okay, it's like from Step stretch. Brothers. No, you ever seen Step yes, Brothers? Hilarious moment. But it's a mix of Fergie and Jesus. <laughs> Except this is Justin Bieber and Jesus. No, we're getting out of track. Sorry. <laughs> so here we go. Uh, Justin Bieber is not Jesus, people. Um, anyway, the Beatitudes. He and I've been to Israel, and so I've I've walked a lot of these places, and I s- literally got to be in the place of where he did this long teaching. I would love to hear you. I mean, not all at once right here, but mm. throughout these recordings. Yes. To drop your, your, don't feel like you're bragging that you've been to Israel and you get, well, I've been there and this is what, it, I want to know what that, like, I want to know sure. those, those things because I haven't been there Yeah, and I want to, it's I, like a bucket list thing, but I want to like experience it through you. Yeah. So just tell me when you, when you hear something, just like, yes, get on there. I will. I will. I, honestly, like as a preacher, teacher, um, lover of the Bible and a, and a speaker, Going to Israel and walking the steps of Jesus, like, blew my mind. It made everything come to life in a whole new way. And I understood the context of the Bible in a better way, too. There were so many things that were said in the Bible that I never picked up on. But then when I was there, I was like, huh, like, that's what that means. That's what I want to do someday. Yeah. So I can drop that whenever it mm-hmm. comes up. So anyway, yeah. I was at this spot. There's nothing special about this spot, right? But, like, you can understand Jesus needed a high point. He had crowds everywhere. He just kind of crossed over Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, which, by the way, here's some knowledge for you. Everyone thinks the Sea of Galilee, like you would imagine it's huge, right? Yeah. It's not. No? I'm not joking. This thing, you can see across it. Oh, yeah? It's like, it's like a lake. It's like a, it would be a small lake in Minnesota. Like oh, people really? would, it'd be a very crowded lake in Minnesota because people would build their cabins all around. Everyone hmm. would be on the water. It wouldn't work well. The Sea of Galilee <laughs> is small. Huh. It's small. In Iowa, and, and you know, I know people in California listen to this today, but in Iowa, like it's smaller than Lake Red Rock. I which, haven't been down there, but that's a bucket list. That's but, where uh, I grew up by golf course down there. Yeah, we need to go. We're going this year to Boss Landon. It'd be great. Anyway, no Boss is that's uh, I thought Honey Creek. Uh, no, that's at Panorama. No, 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 no. Uh, Rathbun. That's Ra- Lake, Lake Rathbun. Oh, Lake Rathbun. That's way. That's way more southeast. Than okay. No, no, Boss no. Landon. There's two Honey Creeks, so. But anyway. Okay, people. I'm sorry. Okay, here tangent. we go. Okay. So anyway, the Sea of Galilee is, is is small. You can you can literally go across it in in an old time boat in Jesus's day in like 30 minutes, no problem. Hmm. Okay. Super small. Anyway, so he's on this mountainside. People are just kind of flocking from all over the Galilee region. He, he gets up on it. He starts just going into these teachings. This is really the first time he's been teaching. People, I promise, we're getting to verse 44, right? But he goes into the Beatitudes, which are epically known today. He goes into salt and light, fulfillment of the law, murder, adultery, divorce, oaths, an eye for an eye. And then he gets to love for your enemies. But go back to those, those topic heads, right? Um, fulfillment of the law, murder, adultery, divorce, oaths. Every time he gets to those, he's, he's telling the Jewish people, you have heard that it was said, yada, 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 about those yeah. topics. Yeah. And then he goes, but I'm here to tell you, it is now this way. So Jesus, 
when I was in, when I was in college, my professor would say, Jesus is the new Moses in this time because mm-hmm. Jews are believing the mosaic law. They yeah. word for word right. lived it out step for step, right? On, on Sundays, on the Sabbath. And then they get Saturday. to this po- or Saturday, which Saturday? is Sabbath. Yeah. Anyway, Eric, <laughs> anyway, so I mean, it gets to this point where this is the first time he's letting out this new law and people are kind of, can, they're questioning him. But at the same time, same time here. Okay. We're going to, we're going to verge or head off in a little different direction. As long as it's context, Eric. Well, it's in the, it's in the same passage in Matthew five, um, where, uh, verse 17, where he says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law. Yes. So, so like that's a great in, reference in all this, you know, he says, you've heard it said this, but I say this, mm-hmm. he's not abolishing. He's not getting rid of any of it. Right. And I think we'll get into the, yes. Yeah. And that's so good. Something. Yeah. No, I just like continuing like that's, that's so good. Cause he's there to say, I'm not, I'm not telling you don't do these laws. I'm telling you there's a better way. There's a better way. And this is what I love about it. Cause he's like already foreshadowing to these Jews. Like I'm here to die for you. And when I die for you, it's going to change everything. You know, a lot of people think, and, and I've, I've heard this said before that like, okay, so Jesus came and he lived and he died and he rose again and he forgives my sins, and so I can just do whatever I want. No, and that is exactly that's like exactly what this with like I didn't come to abolish a law. Every what's interesting. So I was I was reading through uh, Matthew five earlier today, and it says like you've heard it said this, but I say this. You've heard it said this, but I say this over and over and over again. And every time it's like you've heard it said this, which was something not easy, but easier but i say this and he's always raising the bar he's not lowering the bar right you oh know? i like that that's i think that's kind of interesting he's is that like raising the bar because let's let's get into that yeah that applies to this oh yeah there's a there's a raising of the bar there's a like if we're talking about difficulty we're talking about like he's making it more difficult yes in in one sense he's making it more he's making it easier but he's also making it more difficult and the fact that that we've been forgiven is the easiness right right is that like oh good you know i failed all these times but jesus forgives me in that sense it's like quote unquote easier yeah but in everything he's asking us to do it's harder it's yeah and i i want to I, I don't like saying the easier versus harder stuff, but he's what I'm saying he is, is raising the bar. Yes, he is. I like that because here, just before we dig into verse 44, go back to the adultery part in 27, right? Yeah. Again, he literally says, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. He's like, that's totally right. People do that. Don't do that. He goes on. But then now I tell you, if you even look at a woman lustfully, yeah. you've committed adultery. Boom. He just raised the bar. Yeah, you've done he's the like, same yo, thing. you can't just watch that. Jewish guy walk down the street and think dirty thoughts and think you're not committing adultery. Yeah. He raised the bar. Yeah. That's man. So you get to verse 44, he's raising the bar and this, this is one. Go ahead. I just want to say real quick that that sucks. That he raised the bar. Who are you? No, no, no. In, in, (laughs) I'm, I'm just saying like, honestly, like if, if you're a, and we said in the first episode that we're not really, I wouldn't say we're really the target audience. We don't really have a target audience. We're just kind of talking and putting out there and see what happens. But if I hear this like, oh, hey, 
Jesus making it harder for you. That kind of sucks. Mm, that like, language. Like, I don't... And, and that's why I guess I hesitate to say the easier versus harder stuff. Sure. But he's raising the bar. He's making it more difficult. Because in, in this in this passage, the 543 through 48, the love your enemy stuff, he, he goes, okay, love your neighbors. You've heard it said love your neighbors and hate your enemy, right? Right. But I say love your enemy. Right. Well, like, okay, I can love whoever you decide your neighbor is, which we're going to talk about later. I can love my neighbor, like my literal neighbors my, in proximity to me. Yeah, they're, they're awesome people. Mm-hmm. I love them. They're, I don't know them super well right now, but I've met quite a few of them, and they're all great people, and I don't hate any of them. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to my enemies, in which I could easily come up with a list in my head of people who I would consider enemies... Jesus is asking me to love them, and I don't want to do that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no. I, if, if, no it one would, does. if it were my choice to be like, okay, am I going to follow this man based on like how much or how easy it is to do what he's asking me, then I'm probably not following Jesus. Right. Right? Yeah. I'm probably not. And you know what? Side tangent again. I think that's a lot of the millennial and centennial generation today. Because I think they do feel that Jesus' law is hard. It's difficult okay. to follow. Sorry, this is me. I, f- I feel like if you would give me a, a home run area to talk about, like I talk about the millennial and centennial yeah. generation, kids that are from age 12 to adults that are to 35, right? Like okay. whatever. Yeah. Like that's my that's my niche. That's who I speak to, who I love, who yeah. I inspire. But they, I can, I hear, I hear them now in the conversations I've had telling me like, Jesus's laws are hard and I think I can do pretty good on my own. And they, they want to therapeutically use Jesus. Like what I, what I mean by that is they, they want to follow the law when it works in their benefit, but when it's telling them they can't do something, they're kind of like, I'm going to do it my way. Yeah. Is, is there part of them? Is it, I mean, there's part of me. I'll admit I follow in, in, I follow, I fall into that under 35 crowd. So, same, twenty nine. So I, I would say that um, if it, 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 on the surface I'm like, you know what, I'm a pretty good person. I'm better than X. I'm better than Y. I'm better than Z because I do these things, and they don't, and they're just a mean person. Is is there a sense of like, I don't have to follow Jesus's stuff because well, I'm better than that person. It's like, it's like the sense of like to outrun a lion. If you're on the safari and and there's a bunch of lions, never saw one, maybe just one lion. Let's talk about one one. lion. And there's a group of people. You don't have to be the fast. You don't have to, you don't have to be faster than the lion. You just have to be faster than the slowest person. Right. So mean. And so in that sense, like I feel like sometimes I'm tempted to think, gosh, look at all these terrible people. I can outrun them. Hmm. You know what I mean? Right. And, so, and I'm tempted to think like Jesus is okay with that. That's as a brother in Christ. I'm not okay with that. No, no. I, <laughs> I know, I'm, I, I know I, that you're just being vulnerable and real and that's so good. But I, you're right because I think, I think that's so easy to see and to feel whether you're, I think whether you're a Christian or you're Buddhist or you're Muslim, I think everyone feels that in some religious 
aspect. Um, man, that's tough. I I mean, it, it I'm, that's just me being honest that like, and, 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 but also that's that when I, when I think that I don't immediately think, well, what would Jesus have to say about this actually? Mm. You know, and we should. And, and I think, I think this passage that we've got for this conversation kind of speaks directly to that. Like, yes, you know, um, yeah. in, in some sense and, and yeah. Yeah. Well, let's get back to that a little bit here. So verse, verse 44, well, even the beginning, right? So Jesus sets it up. Okay. Here's what you Jews have heard before. Here's the law that you've heard. It's love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Your neighbor, do you want to define that a little bit from what you know? Well, that's at that that's point, a, or is that's it, a long thing. So here's it's here's long. Some, it's it's longer than I thought. Okay. Here's the thing. So like, Jesus says, "You've heard it said, love your enemy and hate uh, love, love your, neighbor, your neighbor, hate your enemy." Yeah. Right. Yep. And my first thought on the surface was, oh, that's something that was said in the Old Testament. And so we, I was like looking it up, and and it connects to Leviticus nineteen eighteen, right? Yes. The Levitical law, which a lot of us don't know or care about. Don't don't know, don't care about I mean, in Leviticus, I believe oh, it says it says don't get a tattoo and both of us yeah. have tattoos here. So Shh. there's there's contextualization of those as well. That's a whole nother conversation. Yes. But so I, I my assumption was that Jesus had said, You've heard it said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy and i thought that was in leviticus no never it's said not. hate your enemy it's not it's not yeah but love your neighbors there right love your neighbor yeah. is yeah but hate your enemy is not and so what no. that correct i i was listening to this podcast by um by tim Mackey, who he's on the bible project and i'm it's it's his own podcast it's called exploring my strange bible or something like that mm-hmm. and he's talking about loving his neighbor loving loving your enemy excuse me and he says the reason Jesus says that, the reason Jesus says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, is because there was a discussion at the time around who your neighbor was. Does that make sense? So like yeah. the the Jews had the Old Testament, had Leviticus, and it said, Love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. And and people were like Okay, that applies to these people, but not these people. Mm. Neighbor applies to these people, not these people. And so Jesus is saying, no, let me clarify what that meant. Yes. It means your neighbor means the people you love, mm-hmm. the people who give you the warm, fuzzy feelings inside, yes. right? And it also means the people who you hate, mm-hmm. the people who don't give you Everybody's warm, fuzzy, fuzzy feelings. And so I was like, oh my gosh. it. I mean, I think that that kind of like clicked with me in that, the discussion around is around who is your neighbor. Right. I mean, there's kind of two discussions in my mind. There's a discussion of who's your neighbor and who's, or, or and what does it mean to love them? Mm. Right. Yeah. If it absolutely. means, if it's love your, en- you love your enemy or love your neighbor. Yeah. So, um, and so that was a discussion being had at the time that you need to love your neighbor. Who the heck is your neighbor? Yes. And that, see, I think a good, that that's a really good contextual thing to come back to because we're at a spot in the Bible historically again where the Jews are controlled their land is controlled their faith is basically controlled by the Roman Empire right and so 
when they think about an enemy, they definitely think about the Romans, right? When they think yeah. about people who aren't neighbors, yeah, it's the Romans. But right. they're also surrounded by warring countries who've tried to take over their land for so long. You have the Syrians. You have they've been in the exile Macedonians. And- yes, they've been in exile back and forth. You have... Um, the Egyptians that are down south that they you know had to wrestle with before you have so many surrounding countries and so when I kind of went into this and studied this a little bit right you go back to original Jewish law where there were um, you know God kind of bringing them out of Egypt and, and restoring Israel to them God was very specific in telling them like don't mess around with other nations don't marry them, don't intermingle, don't you know, don't hang out with them. And so very early on, the Israelites took on this idea that their enemies were those who were not like them. If you weren't a believer in Yahweh of mm-hmm. God, yeah. if you weren't an Israelite born of the 12 tribes, then you're technically an enemy. You're an outsider. And and I shouldn't love you. I should not associate with you. I shouldn't deal with you. And that was a little bit of their thinking at the time. And so when you go back to that Leviticus first, they did say, love your neighbor as yourself. And, and the, the idea at that time was to love all tribes of Israel, to love everyone amidst your story and your heritage. But they had this idea and like, stay away from people who are of different nations because we're not supposed to be around them. So Mm. again, Jews being very traditional at that time and being very um, serious about their, you know, their, their Torah, their law, bring that all the way here to the New Testament when Jesus is around to an extreme, right? Where they are casting out Samaritans. They are casting out Gentiles. They are casting out, um, anyone who's different the lepers the poor the needy like they will not associate be with around talk to anybody they won't love on help out all of that anyone is different and that's an issue all right so that all sounds great but here's the thing i've never left the country boring and so when you talk about let me just stop yeah i want people to know and this is probably bragging and prideful and I will ask for forgiveness <laughs> later. You've never left the country. Yeah. So, I have been to 23 countries. Okay, go. Wow. Yep. So there was, there was a, in high school, I was asked to go play in a, on a golf team that was traveling to Australia. And I, to this day, cannot figure out why I said no. Uh, you just never meant to be in another country. I don't, I don't know what it was. I, and my mom reminded me of that the other day. And I was like, wait a second. I was asked to do that. Why didn't I do it? And I have no idea hmm. why I didn't do it. Well, um, but yeah, I've never left. I've barely left the Midwest-ish. Like I've never gone, other than Arizona, Phoenix, I've never gone west of Eagle, Colorado, which is just barely west of Vail. And I've never gone east of, uh, I've been to Virginia once in a, on a trip, uh, Nashville basically. And then I've been to Florida and Atlanta, but like Northeast, not really, not much on the East coast. Right. So okay, we anyway. need to hang out more to get you places. Anyway, what's I need, your point? I need, I need to get point? point. I need to get places, but I also need to get to the point. 
what I mean is like what you're describing sounds like racial things like strictly racial things like mm. and because it is it's it's one country interacting with another country and another country i would say and it's national national no okay. i would because I, would, I would think they're very similar races at the time and i don't think it was a racist thing and i'm not saying that you're claiming that but okay. I, yeah but it was very national and, I got, and god i feel made that clear but anyway so it's easy for me to say well i'm not a nationalist I, I don't I don't think I don't think United States is any superior to Australia because I just mentioned it or any of these other countries and a lot of Americans think that United States is superior maybe I do think that a little bit right because that that is that is maybe our history is that we're a very prideful country but how does that apply to like my everyday life? You know what I mean? Like I don't interact with Brits very much, much. I don't interact with Chinese people very much. I don't interact with Russians very much. I don't know. You know what I mean? They're all normally Americans. And so it's easy for me in when with the way you say that, that it was about nationalism to say like, okay, well, I don't even interact with those people on a daily basis. So, I'm doing pretty good. True. But I, I'm going to ex what you're saying because that was all my context for verse 43. We're not even to verse 44 yet. Okay. Well, <laughs> maybe I'm just getting I don't, I think I, no. you're so right. I totally get what you're saying and I love it because I think if that was my full on stance of that verse, I think you'd be absolutely right. Like that wouldn't be helpful or applicable today. But I think a little bit what we're talking about is our, who's our neighbor. Right, right, I, and and so yeah, like, and I was trying to context the enemy part though, right? So they like their okay. enemy was because at those times when you're trying to protect yeah. your land was literally right. anybody outside your border trying to come in. So okay, so that 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 almost makes the point more in that what they're probably saying is, hey, your enemy is in our context would be, hey, your enemy is Russia or China, and your neighbors are Americans. Because of where we live geographically, yes. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. I don't know if Russia's posing threats currently or China. Well, depending on. Anyway, we're not going to get political here. No. But I, you're I right. Okay. So sweet. We have this context in this idea of where this verse is coming from, what Jesus is saying, what Jews are thinking. And then he lands and he says, okay, you've heard that it said, well, we just went over Verse 44, he goes, but now I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. No, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about that, though, right? That's the raising of the bar. Love your enemies. And let's just take a hot second to think about actually trying to love on people who are just terribly mean to us and in our culture and in and when i'm again an eighth grade teacher and i'm in a school system kids don't get that and when i'm an adult and i i you know mentor a lot of people and i have interactions adults don't get that right and here's jesus's words from two thousand years ago 
reminding us to love in the really hard moments. And yet for us to apply that, no. So here's, here's a couple of thoughts that I've got is first of all, in, in, in thought, this thing is super easy Hmm. in, in, in reading it and saying like, Hey, love your enemies, love your neighbors, love your enemies. I, I think almost universally would be like, yeah, that's a good idea. In practice, it comes out very differently. In practice, we, I, I am able to say, to, to, to push that away, almost this, this cognitive dissonance, right? This ability to know something and act in a different way. That's what cognitive dissonance is, right? Mm-hmm. It's ability to, it's, it's the difference between yep. acting and knowing, okay? And so, I can know, I can read this passage, if, if I'm just being honest, I can read this passage and say, this is genius and this could change the world. In practice, I put it into practice differently because I'm, I'm, I allow my emotions to navigate the way I act. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So... If, if I'm thinking about like who the people are that I love and I love easily, my wife, my son, my family, right? Me. Y- you. <laughs> <laughs> and those are things that like even just people that I th- think about and just like I literally get this warm, fuzzy feeling inside, right? You give me a warm, fuzzy feeling, Corey. I know. You always it's do. Bro, bro, bro ship. <clears throat> yeah. And so that warm, fuzzy feeling is easy to translate into positive actions, mm-hmm. positive things right. like giving of, giving of gifts or sacrificing my time for someone else or, um, you, you know, just these, these Jesus-like traits. That's easy to do. It's the people that I can think of, and I can think of, honestly, right now, off the top of my head, probably four to five people who make my stomach turn who give me i guess the opposite of a warm fuzzy feeling would be a cold feeling Mm. you you know and my reaction would be well i'm not gonna actively hate on them i'm gonna avoid them Mm. right and i think that's that's in my mind, the, it's interesting that, to me that we started with this passage because this passage, I think, is maybe one that, if put into practice, could change the world more than anything. Amen. Because there's this active versus passive response to emotion that results in either love or hate. Okay? Let me break that down a little bit. So... When, when, I, when I get this warm, fizzy feeling to my wife, I do things for her that are positive, that are loving, and it results in an active form of love. When I hear, when I see or hear the name of this, of one of these five people that just are an enemy or who just like make my stomach turn, my response is to either actively avoid them or not interact them with, with them at all, which I interpret in the back of my mind as love. Because I'm not, I'm not hmm. actively trying to 
bring their demise. But I know that I know in my mind, again, cognitive dissonance. I know in my mind that avoidance is not love. Ah, I was about to say that. It's good. And that drives me nuts. Yeah. Because what does it look like to love them then, right? That's what this verse is calling you. It's an active thing. Yes. Very active. And I think that is a great point for our listeners to think about is when you just avoid someone or something, you know, honestly, sometimes that's wise for, for a time. Yeah. It's wise for a time. I'm thinking about my eighth grade kids. Like it's wise for them to just not say anything, be around that certain person for a while. Right. But at some point life goes on and you're going to still be around them, especially in a school setting, in a life setting, right? Whatever. But if you just, completely avoid them you are actively ignoring and thus choosing not to love yeah um and i have this you know i have this thing too that i tell my eighth graders like also kind of maybe a a a different perspective on that if you are present and you allow evil to happen and say nothing you are agreeing with those actions. You are joining in on them because you didn't say anything. You ignored, you didn't do anything to stop it. You knew it was wrong. Yeah. Right. And you are not loving well in that moment. And so nothing is doing something. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's doing something wrong. And so, you know, I think, I think that's such a powerful thing to hear is that love active love takes guts. Yeah. Like it, cause you got to put yourself out there where you know, it may not go well. The other person yeah. may blow you off, flip you off. Who knows? Yeah. But, um, that's better than for a lifetime avoiding. Yeah. And it, well, it's, it's, it's going against what your gut tells you sometimes yeah you know like like when your gut tells you love the person that's easy when your gut tells you don't love the person or avoid the person that's that's not easy right you got you have to like literally go against your emotions and that's that's an active decision so it's it's a yeah it's a decision sometimes to go against your emotions sometimes to go with your emotions just being aware of what your emotions are in each one of those settings right right like what is what is your response when you hear someone's name and i'm i'm just thinking of for myself like when i hear carla what does that feel like okay when i hear this name and i'm not going to say it obviously but when i hear this name that's a very different feeling right and one i have to learn to rebel against and the other i have to i i it's easy because i just right oh you know i just follow that but it's it's also possible for the same person that you normally love to then become your enemy for you know for a little bit i mean carla and i have fought before and she i've done things that have made her stomach turn and she doesn't want to interact with me and i've done this you know it's been gone both ways right and so it's not universal that it's like just one person one person one person it's 
situation by situation. Yeah, and it's, it's always going to be that way. And there's going to be new, quote-unquote, enemies that arise and some that fade away. And, uh, you know, I, I think I have a fun little story that my mind links to in this. And that's – so I went to a Christian high school uh, growing up and played football, right? And so it was a very interesting thing getting these Christian kids to, like, you know, football and act themselves to just – just take somebody out, you know, just yeah. like lay them out, yeah. get vicious. And my, my, my coach, man, bless his heart, just tried to mold these timid Christian kids into being some smash mouth football <laughs> team. And the beautiful thing about it though, you know, is he, he taught us this way that, you know, when someone smacks you upside your head and you're on the ground in, in the other team is your enemy don't be out there jibbing and John and saying this and that and acting tough, right? Like be the person who's willing to say, Hey, that was a really nice tackle (laughs) and just walk away from it, you know? And I tell you what, I took that on pretty strong. Now, you know, I I was a running back, so I got tackled 90% of the time, every time I had the ball, right? Like unless you're Mm -hmm. scoring or out of bounds or something. Yeah. And, uh, And I got tackled all the time. Sometimes I got tackled hard. And the moments that I told somebody like, hey, that was a great tackle. Man, you hit me really hard. And I'm impressed. Yeah. They just were so confused. They're like, what? What is wrong with this guy? Yeah. (laughs) So the point being, when I think of loving enemies, when I think about loving someone who's a very difficult person in your life, Love when it is shining in the face of an enemy is confusing. Yeah. They are like, it's like a deer in the headlights. They're just like, uh, what, what that, that's not, yeah. that's not the response I wanted. That's not the situation. Yeah. I wanted. I wanted to fuel the fire, not, yeah, not throw, you know, like, like throw water on it and smell it. Like what's going on. And love to your enemy is, it's like the you just catch them in the moment and they don't they don't know what to do. It diffuses. It diffuses the animosity, hatred, the feelings of angst that are that are existing there. Yeah. So Ryan Hervey, which I'm sure you'll hear us talk about quite a bit, he he'll probably be on the podcast eventually. Um one of his best him and his wife, him and Angie, their best um pieces of advice to Carla and me in in our early marriage was don't get on the roller coaster. And what that meant was when one of us was emotional and upset, don't get on the roller coaster and get upset yourself. And what that, how that links to this is kind of like you said that when an enemy, so an enemy is obviously someone who hates you or who, who acts in a negative way towards you. And responding in a negative way and responding in a hateful way, it magnifies the situation. Like there's this multiplication or multiplicative uh, um, aspect to hate, to hate, responded with hate, right? But love literally like diffuses the situation and it de-escalates and it ends the roller coaster. Yeah. You know, in a good way. Yeah. Absolutely. And and so when when I said earlier, like, I think this is one of the things that could literally change the world. Yes. 
what I mean is, like you think of, and, and I, I don't want to, to project this whole conversation onto the other because it, it's something that I seriously need to, to think about for my personal life. But when you think about the enemies in the world, like two, like Republicans and Democrats, or, you know, whoever, whoever you want to, uh, whoever you want to select as like an enemy to each other, when they respond with, with, um, like equal or greater force, it escalates. But when they respond with love, it tones it down. I literally read an article today about when when I was Googling, you know, love your enemy, that someone said was ripping this this verse. It was I think it was a Jewish writer. It it was and that's not to knock Jews, not at all. But their their response was how terrible this verse was because you shouldn't love your enemy. You should give them what they deserve. Hmm. And and so there's like there's this sense of like justice in it right. as well. And you we know, all like want justice. Someone did something bad to me and they deserve something back. It's not me hating them. It's just me getting even and getting revenge. It we don't yeah. we don't like to call it revenge because we think we're being good Christians. We're just we're just giving them what they deserve, you know? Yeah. And what they deserve is me to ignore them or me to give them the cold shoulder or me to um Maybe it's even more active that we do something even more hateful that we don't even see as hate, but we let our negative emotions lead that because it's, this is what they deserve. Right. And I think on top of that, there's, there's a narrative in our society today that tells us that hate is warranted, that enemies are needed. Mm-hmm. Um, you think of all the superhero movies that are out there, right? There's always a nemesis. Um, you get into high school, middle school drama, and you bring that into college, and you know that there's always somebody who's, um, you know, a bully or a harasser or someone who's going to stir the pot. And I, there's just this narrative around that when you have an enemy, you treat him like crap. Yeah. And like you're saying, I think if we can rewrite that narrative. And if we as as people could turn to love first, I think it's going to change the way that we feel those things, um, the things that you're talking about, the things that we feel. And we have to understand we're humans and we're emotional. And a lot of times our emotions drive our reactions. Yeah. And that's where Jesus is calling us out. He's saying like, no, don't be irrational. Yeah. Don't be Don't be people who just respond out of this narrative that there has to be an enemy or this idea that my emotions drive me to anger and hate. Don't respond in that. Take a step back, realize your power of the Holy spirit inside of you and love, love in a way that's going to confuse people. Yeah. Um, and it's not to say that you need to be walked over and you need to be, um, you know, someone who can't have confidence and bravery. Like, I'm not saying that I really, the point here is if you can love and and give tangible love in moments where you have enemies being made or you have people who just have it out for you, you're going to change the narrative and they're going to figure it out too. They're going to figure it out um, as they go. For example, 
biblical example. I think of King David and, and King Saul, right? Yeah. King Saul has it out for David, sleeps in the same cave that David is hiding in. David had the chance to kill him, but David then comes over, cuts a piece of his, his um, royal cape, <laughs> robe, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, whatever, and, you know, literally comes back to him later, later and says, hey, King Saul, I could have killed you. Look, I have evidence. Look at your, look yeah. at your robe. Like it's it's definitely cut off. I could have I could have had you, but I'm better than that. Here's here's an act of love. Yeah. We don't need to be doing this. Leave me alone. Yeah. Go back to your kingdom. Let God sort it out. And King Saul is super convicted at the time. Like rips his clothes and and like puts literally like puts himself in a place of submission, saying, "Who am I?" Why am I doing this? There's no need for this. And I think at the end of the day, as hard as it is to imagine, I think everybody realizes that like there's no need for the hate that's coming. And if we can give that love, maybe we can call that out. Yeah. Another example, I, I'm a teacher. I deal with bullies, you know, those bullies, they're only hating on people because there's someone who's hating on them. Right. There's an issue in their life and they're taking yeah. it out on other people. If you love them out of that, the world's going to be a better place. That right. bully will give it up. They'll they'll see the light. They'll get over their issue. Right. Um, but you've got to first take the stance of loving an enemy. And sometimes you got to take the 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 brunt because sometimes that res- right that, that turnaround. You know, like you say that in the instance of a bully. I, I mean, if you're if you're not in high school. There's probably not a lot of people who you consider bullies. It's more, <laughs> right. like, you know, yeah. But there's emphatic language, but people. There's people who annoy you. There's people your bosses. Yeah, Some people have terrible bosses. And, uh, yeah, there's tons of people who are gonna. But it's not gonna be. It it probably won't be an instant fix. You know, like yes. it's it's like sometimes I want to. If I love this person, is it gonna respond? Are they gonna do be be loving and returned right away? Probably not. Right. You're probably going to take the brunt of it for quite a while. But two things popped up to me in, in what you just said. The first is like understanding who the justice giver is. You know, who gives justice in this world? And so often I want to be the mm. one who deals out justice. Like you've been right. bad to me. I'm going to, I'm going to, you deserve this. Even the so scales. Here's, here's the justice that, that, that needs to be had. And, and that's, that's like a temptation of mine. The second is, and I think more, it's more, um, tangible and applicable for me to use regularly is a fast versus slow response. You know, like, because when someone is an enemy of mine, my fast, my natural response is typically a fast response, right? If something is natural, like, like for instance, in the golf swing, like my golf swing has become, I've worked on it so much that it's natural and I don't have to think about it. It's just like I step up and I can, I can hit it fast. Yeah, and but sometimes you snap hook, right? I don't snap hook. I typically <laughs> banana slice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? Like it's, if it's natural, it's typically a fast thing that happens. And so when someone is like, gives me just that repulsive feeling in my stomach 
slowing down the response yep. is helpful. It's yep. understanding and, and, and your being allowed, Yeah. Giving myself time to think and be like, okay, my natural reaction is not what I ought to be doing. I mean, my, right. my natural response typically to my wife and my son who I love is, is the right one. And that's not saying I'm perfect, right. right? Right. But to my enemy, my my fast response is punish the person, mm. give them justice, avoid them, stay away from them. When my slow response ought to be, okay, no, that's not what I need to do. Move towards them, bless them, pray for them. That's that's a slower response. Right. Basically, is what is what I'm getting at. Pass yep. versus yep. slow response when it comes to enemies. That's good. Um, and and that that's tough to like stop your slow response or yes. your, stop your fast, fast response, response and go towards your slow response. Yes. Um, that that's just what I was thinking when yeah. you when you were going off there. That's good. I want to jump to the second part of the verse and maybe we can try and end there. I know my wife's going to want me home soon. Oh yeah. (laughs) But anyway, uh, no matter what time you're listening to this out there, the second part of the verse just says, and pray for those who persecute you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important to note too. I think, so when I was doing my, my studying on this, kind of like reminding myself of this verse, I I was in the commentary again, right? This like Mm -hmm. super, nerdy book of all things that the Bible says literally word by word, what it can mean. Yeah. yeah. Um, it reminded me of how important the prayer piece of this is, right? Cause we, we just talked forever about what it looks like to love an enemy. You know, the, the quick response that comes for that, the justice that we want to ensue, the, um, you know, the, the way that we as humans emotionally react but at the core, no matter what we've done there in our, you know, real world reaction, whether we did or didn't, or we ignored or avoided or whatever, whatever happened, go back home that night. Did you stop? And did you follow through with the rest of this verse and take time to pray for that person and pray for them in a way that's not like God, you make them right. Yeah. In the name of Jesus Christ, strike you them set, down. You strike them down because they're terrible. Like, right? Yeah. No. Yeah. But like, you pray in a way that's like, God, forgive me, a sinner, and let me see how I can love them. Yeah. And if they are in sin, Lord, lead them out of it. Yeah. Show them a way. Right. And that we like literally get to a a humble stance where we get ourselves out of the way and we're not praying prayers that are trying to set our life right and straight, but we sincerely are praying for someone who's persecuting us. We're praying for their, for their forgiveness, for their salvation, for, for their ability to have a sound mind that they could deal with us accordingly. Right. In a, in a, in a reasonable way that aspect of it to pray for someone who is your enemy man how powerful but that also that like changes the way you approach the situation you know the the more you pray for someone a lot of times that prayer changes you more than it changes 
the situation or the person, right? Not That's not to say that God doesn't change people or doesn't change situations, but a lot of times he's like, okay, let's go to work on you first and, and reveal some stuff to you that are happening, that's happening in you before we, and, and that maybe fixes the situation or yeah. fixes the relationship. And so if, for me, that's that's what I'm writing down on my notes is like each night, figure out who are the people in that day that, again, I keep going back to like that turned my stomach. Yeah. And say a prayer for them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's not something I do regularly. The, the things I pray for at night are, hey, God, I'm struggling with this. Uh, you know, not necessarily a relationship. It's like, I'm, I'm worried about this. I'm scared about this. Yep. Please bless my son and my wife and my family. Yeah. Um, it's not like, hey, this person made me mad, really pissed me off today. They're trying to take me out. Yeah bless them please yeah <laughs> like you know that's not something i do regularly and i'm writing that down right now that that i need to pray yeah. for the people who are on quote unquote my list yeah you know i mean that's some of the things that i'm taking away from today is is react slowly to negative relationship or negative uh gut feelings act slowly yeah Act actively, not mm, passively, right. actively in a positive way, not passively in avoidance, mm-hmm. and pray for people at the end of the day who turned my stomach. Yeah. Those are, th- I think, the three things that I'm taking away from this conversation. Yeah. And and as I'm reflecting, I, you know, I, I'm thinking about a lot of things you said, really, Eric, like, um, don't be a justice seeker. Like we're, we're not yeah. here to instill the justice of someone who wrongs us. We're not. Yeah. And because of that, we need to, again, react in love. I'm yeah. thinking, you know, takeaways from this, like let, we need to rewrite the narrative of how people think people should deal with one another. Yeah. The, the advice you give to other people, the way that you listen to stories like this that are filled with enemies and hate and anger, be the person who helps rewrite that narrative and says, Hey, what if you just really go out of your way and love them? Yeah. Right. So rewrite the narrative that's out there of hating your enemy. Um, yeah. And, you know, I also just land with this idea that you said in the beginning, like Jesus has raised the bar for us. Yeah. And if we're going to truly love him and follow him, let's, let's go beyond our power to live it out and yeah. live this specific one out. And I love his challenge because he puts a challenge in this section. We mm-hmm. read it earlier and it might be a good way to go out tonight too, right? He, he literally says, um, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors and sinners doing that, right? Yeah. And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others, right? Do not even the pagans do that. And then he says, be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect. And that is the same verse that links back to that Leviticus time verse mm-hmm. or Leviticus 19 that you mentioned earlier, that same phrase is there. Be perfect. Like I am perfect. That's God's challenge to us. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the high bar, but that idea that, you know, the people that love you, like you said earlier, they're really easy to love. But the challenge here is don't just be an, an, a person who is 
full of the, I don't want to say easy love because I think that's the wrong term. Don't be a person that's full of. But that makes sense. I mean, it, it does. Even though it's not the perfect word, but it is. Right. I, I, but I'm going to think it. of the word. It's don't yeah. be a person that's full of. Emotional love or. No. Um, that's. See, this is where if I was speaking, I would have this totally thought out, but yeah. I'm in the moment. Don't be a person that's full of. Um, man, it's slipping tonight. That's all right. Easy love. Easy love. We'll go with easy love. Easy love. So don't, you know, be someone who's willing to say, I am going to to love the hard, tough people in my life. Yeah. And uh, be able to pour some some time and energy into that. So the two things that I'll, I'll wrap up with before we, we wrap this whole thing up is, it's different is that when he says, even the pagans do that, you know, love the people that they love that that following Jesus is is different obviously it's something something other than what the pagans do what everyone does and then the other one is that just uh, again the image of like the high jump bar you know or is like the old testament set the bar at whatever height i don't even know what a normal height is I you, you no did, do you track and field and i no i mean i've been there okay it well changes it, it was like it level. was like a middle bar right yeah and jesus puts it like not at the top i mean in in the end of this passage he says be perfect so whatever perfect would be in the high jump mm, right man i don't know what that would be but do you have do you have time for our feet. one random question of the night yeah we gotta do that and we gotta tell them what verse we're digging into next time oh yeah okay so uh, the verse that we're going to dig into next next episode is going to be Matthew five thirteen. So same chapter. Do you want to say anything about it? Um, it's it's the salt and light verse. I think it's one. It's it's really weird because Jesus says some really great stuff in chapter five, the Beatitudes, and then he yeah. literally comes out of nowhere and is like, "Hey, be the salt of the earth." And you're yeah. like, "What?" Yeah. So dig into that. Yeah, that'd be great. So again, Matthew yeah. five verse sixteen. Right? Thirteen. Well, it's like 13, 13 through, 16. through 16, but really verse 13, five or yeah. 13. So at the end of every conversation, we want to have, we're going to try to have some like random question to discuss for a little bit. And so I'm going to throw out the first one. I didn't really tell Corey in advance to talk, to think about it. So we may have to hash out a little bit, but the random question is if every gospel writer were a Beatle, like the Beatles band, if every gospel writer were a beetle, who would they be? And I want to know what you have to say. I'm going to be really honest. I don't know because I couldn't even tell you who the beat like the Beatles actual okay, names are. John Lennon. Which, okay. I do know that name. And uh, I know that name too. Huh? George Harrison. Yep. Don't know him. Ringo Starr. Don't know him. Okay. So Ringo and Paul are the only ones that are alive. John Lennon wasn't he like killed? He was murdered. Yeah, yeah, he was murdered by the guy who got his last last autograph. So that's kind of weird. Yeah, the guy got his autograph, then went and I wonder where that autograph is these days. But then he came know. back and he murdered him because he was like hmm. a super fan or whatever. Yeah, I think clearly, clearly, that John Lennon is the Gospel of John for more than one reason. <laughs> so this is a question for yourself because I don't have opinions. I oh, don't really? know. Okay, I'm telling you right now. I like. I would have to come back next week and give you a an answer because right now, 
I have no clue. Like I'd... I'm not sure if we're coming back next week. We might be next month. Month, whenever. Okay, well, maybe this is a question that we, we address further in the next episode. My opinion is John Lennon is J- the Gospel of John, not only because they're called John, because as we talked about earlier, Mark was written by John Mark, so that is also written by John. Yeah. But because John is super trippy, and John Lennon is kind of kooky. Trippy. He was kind of kooky. Yeah. Um, okay, I get that one. Matthew, I feel like, is the most steadfast gospel. Well, okay. So, so would you give that to Paul? Uh, what would you call steadfast? Like, irrelevant? No, the most used. We use it the most often, I feel. Matthew. Okay. I could do I could do Matthew as Paul. Uh, Ringo's still alive, and he's, he like, he produced the uh, Broadway show of the Beatles so he's like still doing stuff but like behind the scenes sure I feel like that could be Mark because it's like really it's quick it's yeah flashy that's very true of Mark maybe you don't very immediate maybe you don't yeah he's immediate but you don't is it as quoted you know he was a drummer Ringo was a drummer there you go so he's not really a quoted person is is Mark quoted a lot Luke is quoted all the time Luke and Matthew a, a bunch John a bunch but maybe Mark or Luke Mark gets a little left out. So I feel like then... So then Are we going Luke? with Luke as George Harrison? Yeah, I don't he, know had, him. he had one hit. Uh, something about my guitar gently weeps or something like that. He had hmm. he had a solo career for a very small second. What did, what did he play in the Beatles? Uh, was he a guitarist? I don't know. No, don't ask I me. assume his song, his song was My Guitar Gently Weeps. I only weeps, know contemporary so. jams. He sang in that. He was a solo artist. As well as DC Talk. Okay, all right, all right. <laughs> anyway <laughs> so you're gonna have to come back and, and do a little research like not only on my matthew 513 but on which gospel writer is okay. well i mean we i guess we kind of came up and we kind we kind of did it together we got an answer yeah. all right so we'll have some interesting question next time as well i think we hit everything i think so i think i think that's that's what we got for now i'm sure there's more thoughts and ideas out there that we'll think of later that you all have thought of and if you have, if there's a way to contact us, yeah, how do we thoughts, do that? Ideas, if Man, you, first if you episode, have, if you have a disagreement of who, which gospel writer was which Beatle, or something we said, or you have any thoughts on the next episode, is tweeting us the best way? Yeah, tweet us. What's your What's your handle? Mine is at Corey Nickel. Really simple. C O R Y N I K K E L at Corey Nickel. Tweet at me. Let me know. Mine is E. P E Y T eight eight at E Pate eighty eight. So it's like my last name without an O N. Eric Payton. Nice. I'm not sure why I came up with that. You know, sometimes when create, creating Twitter handles, we don't think through it. We don't. My first Twitter handle though was very thought through. It was at C five cent. C five cent. Yeah. You're gonna have to tell us why that was next well, time. No, no, I'll tell you now. Five cents is a nickel. I know. So okay, I, but other people out there might anyway. It was very creative. Very, very clever. Anyway, okay. I'm right. Corey. All right, I'm Eric. We'll talk to you next time.